you have to hold people accountable. It's still a business. But when you care about people and you're growing them and you're developing them and you're coaching them and you're creating a safe space, safe in the sense that they know where they stand. They don't go home on the weekend going, I wonder if Mark hates me or if I'm going to get fired on Monday. We we think. Welcome to the Creating High Performing Teams podcast. Our goal is to be the most actionable podcast on leadership and management you ever heard. We want you to walk away knowing exactly what you can do to be a better manager every time you listen. I'm your host, Jason Evanish, the CEO of Lighthouse. Hi, everyone. I'm Jason Evanish, and this is the Lighthouse podcast on leadership and management. We have a very special guest today. I'm super excited to have Mark Crowley on. He has been someone who has lent his advice to the Lighthouse blog many times over the years, and so we've loved getting his contributions there. And so now that we have our podcast, we're excited to have Mark on as well. For those of you that haven't seen him on the blog, Mark is the author of an amazing book called Lead from the Heart, Transformational Leadership for the 21st Century. It's all about the challenges of traditional assumptions about effective leadership and that book has really taken off since I first read it a few years ago. It's been taught in nine American universities, including an MBA and a PhD program. And Mark is now evangelizing this concept and these leadership practices a lot of different ways, which has led to a podcast he also has, which has an audience in over 156 countries. So, Mark, thank you for joining us today. I'm honored to be here, Jason. Thanks so much. Awesome. So today we want to talk about what lead from the heart really means and how managers and leaders can actually apply it today. So let's hear straight from the source. How would you describe leading from the heart? Let's start with the opposite of leading from the heart, which is <laughs> which is traditional, which is so the very the, the foundational premise is that we have two forms of intelligence. One is up here, and this is the one we think we should be relying on in business. We hire the smartest people for management roles. We want them to be purely rational. We we tell people leave your troubles at the doors, and we don't want your emotions and work and and all that, right? And yeah. so basically, it's an exchange of Jason. Here's your job. If you do a good job, we'll give you a reward. We'll pay you, right? And right. if you do a especially good job, we'll give you a bonus. We might give you some benefits to make it competitive. Um, but generally, the exchange is what I call the value exchange is you work, we reward you. You work, we reward you. You don't work and we fire you. And yeah. so there's really no connection there in terms of really making it worthwhile for you because of employers, have, they've been able to have so much control over that transaction that they get to dictate what the terms are. Yeah. So the alternative is, is that there's this other intelligence at feeling sensing organ, which is our hearts and our hearts can tell whether or not somebody cares about us, whether they value us, whether the, the rewards that they're giving to us is sincere, whether or not somebody has our best you know, interest in heart, no pun intended. And so when we feel a sense that we're being exploited or taken advantage of, we reciprocate. Like we basically say, well, if you don't care about me, then I'm not going to care about you. And it's yeah. not a conscious decision. You know, we don't sit around and go, oh, well, you know, screw this guy. I'm not going to do that. Right. That's it just happens. But it works the other way around. Human beings are hardwired to reciprocate. But not only that, but what's happened is, is that it used to be that people went to work to make money simply to meet their basic needs. And now we've reached this moment in time where most people, most people truly, in, at least in America, 
and in, and, and in Western civilized countries, they're reaching at a point where the income that they make is sufficient to put a roof over their heads and to give them food and on a stable basis. So they don't wake up worrying, where am I going to sleep tonight or what am I going to eat tonight? Well, what happens is when you look at Maslow's hierarchy that 75 years ago, he predicted that people would start ascending in their needs, meaning that once the basic needs were met, then we would start thinking about, well, what else do I want in my life? Well, what we want is fulfillment. We want somebody who will advocate for us, who will coach us, who will develop us, who will maximize our human potential. Mm -hmm. And so when people get that in their workplace, which is all about the heart, mm -hmm. then people reciprocate because they're so grateful. It's like, I want to do so much more for you because of all you're doing for me. So I'm saying that we're at this point where we have so much proof and evidence that traditional leadership theory isn't working, that we need to pivot in a way that is actually almost diametrically opposed to the way we've all been taught to lead. And so that's where the resistance comes in. That's where, you know, this is taking a long time to get people. They might understand it intellectually, but in terms of actually implementing it, it's taking time because we can talk about this. But our human nature is to resist and we go, well, this is the way we've always done it. And this is the way, you know, others, my, my boss did it, his boss did it, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, why shouldn't we, and by the way, I'm so successful here and why would I want to change my methodology? Right. And my argument is because you've never tested and you don't understand that if you implement this, that the performance in all the major aspects that are important to you actually ascend in ways you couldn't even possibly imagine. So, so in a nutshell, if like you had a, if you had a describe a couple of the key things like what does it actually mean what are a couple of the things that, uh, that that demonstrate someone's leading from the heart so i mean it really starts with just the premise that you're not you know, you as an employee are not someone that is here for me to exploit Mm -hmm. um, I'm my motivation as a leader is to care about you and to care about what's important to you. Do you want to grow? Are you interested in becoming CEO? Are you interested in getting my job? Are you interested in just you know doing what you're doing, but but becoming really good at it? Whatever that is, let me support that. Mm -hmm. um, but it's also about recognizing people. It's also about acknowledging what people contribute and making sure that they understand that those things matter. It's understanding what's going on in their life. So that you can make accommodations where where possible you know yep. it's caring it really boils down to caring and we think that that's a weakness we, we you know we've been told don't, you don't care about people you don't get close to them you don't understand their story and that's all that's going to do is slow you up and it's going to keep you from being productive and it's going to keep them from being productive mm -hmm. they're going to get soft around the middle my boss cares about me he's not going to hold me accountable for results the truth is they go together you have to hold people accountable it's still a business, but when you care about people and you're growing them and you're developing them and you're coaching them and you're creating a safe space, safe in the sense that they know where they stand. They don't go home on the weekend going, I wonder if Mark hates me or if I'm going to get fired on Monday. We, totally. we fantasize about all that kind of stuff. And if you can create an environment where people know, hey, I'm really grateful you're here. Like I picked you for a reason and you're not going anywhere and I love you and just, you know, go do a great job. When people have all of those kinds of needs met, then they can just soar. Yeah. 
That's great. And, you know, what's really interesting is, for those of you that don't know Mark's background, he, he spent his career in the world of finance. And I think anyone who knows the reputation of finance, it can be some of the most aggressive and, uh, I guess we'll call it not compassionate style of leadership. So I'm curious, Mark, going back to like your career, obviously you're ahead of the curve on, on coming up and embracing this idea. So do you remember what was kind of like part of the aha moment for you where you figured out that even in a cutthroat, ruthless world of finance, that leading from the heart actually would make a difference and it was something that you wanted to do as a leader in, in that world? Uh, it, it didn't work like that at all, actually. Okay. There weren't these two tangents where I was like, I'm over here and everybody else is over here. That took me many, many years to discover. Okay. Um, without going into too much detail, I had a rather brutal upbringing and an abusive, psychologically and emotionally abusive father who kicked me out of the house like two days after I graduated from high school and I never basically saw him again until right before he died 15 years later. No financial support, no emotional support, no coming yeah. home on birthdays and Christmas. Um, and it was just, you know, you're basically on the street without any preparation, no money, no job, nothing. And I don't know how I survived it, but I was also motivated to graduate from college because my father told me that I would never amount to anything, that I was going to be an abject failure in life. And I, wow. is, I basically equated, if I didn't graduate from college, then I would be that failure that he predicted. So by hook or by crook, I graduated. I did well. By, they should have they kicked me out of school the first year. Um, <laughs> they gratefully didn't. And I ended up you know, figuring it out. I got a yeah. job. I started making money, got into ritual, did well in school. And so when I started managing people, I unconsciously started managing people the way that I've written about that I've described. I, I became a master of it, but I became a master of it, not anticipating, hey, 20 years later, I'm going to write a book about this and I'm going to be the Pied Piper of this idea. Yeah, it yeah. was what I was giving to people was an experiment, an okay. unconscious conscious experiment of what if I gave people everything that I never got and always wanted sure. safety, you know, love, caring, yeah. you know. And so very early on, I kept getting all these promotions. Like they just every time, you know, that they, yeah. they give me a job, they go, Oh no, we want to give you this job. Now we're gonna give you this bigger job. And at one point I was like, Do you realize like I'm not even remotely qualified for you? <laughs> but, yeah. But the, what they saw was you're doing something that's getting results out of people that we've never seen before. And I couldn't reconcile what I was doing. I just kept doing it. Yeah. And then a woman who worked for me for 20 years, after 20 years, said to me, you realize you manage people very differently, don't you? And I was like 43, 44 years old when she yeah. said this, Jason. And it was yeah. only in that moment that I was like, tell me more about what you're talking about. And when she described what I'd been doing, she goes, there's nobody in this organization. We're working in bank banking, financial services. Nobody manages like you. And at that yeah. point, I realized my whole childhood was the influence for all this. And then I went on to just try to perfect it. Wow. I, that's, 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 a, that's an amazing story and, and really inspirational that you kind of turned that corner. It's also, it's interesting though, that there wasn't like that, I guess the epiphany moment actually came when one of the people, I guess you had been leading from the heart or was the one to help tell you that you are doing things differently. And that, that sounds like that led to some of the introspection to start to realize like, well, what am I doing differently? 
She actually, you know, she worked for me. I hired her when she was, you know, like a sophomore in college and she worked for me for about 10 years and then I got a promotion and she didn't go with me. And then she ended up leaving the organization, going to a really ruthless financial institution. And then I recruited her back. And it was in that moment that she was like, whoa, you know, I've been in the other side. I've been in the dark land here and there's nobody like you out there. And, but you know, the thing was, it's really important for your audience to know this, that my teams killed it, Jason. We were were like the best. At one point there were a hundred regions in the organization that I work with, one of the largest financial institutions in America. And uh, we were number one for three consecutive years, but 36 consecutive months. So that's 99 other regions in the organization that were trying to beat us that we went three straight years with it, you know, and so people responded to this phenomenally, whether they realized what I was doing or not. Yeah, that's great. And so it's funny, like you, you talked about there how like essentially one of your team members kind of boomeranged because they went and saw how brown the grass was on the other side, we'll say, and came back to, to work with you again. I'm curious, thinking about trying to convince leaders that this is the better approach, because I know from my experiences, we, we teach very similar concepts. I think it's why you and I have built a relationship over the years. It's like there's a lot of alignment in like what we try and get people to do with Lighthouse and, and what you're evangelizing with uh, the concept of leading from the heart. But it's one thing for employees to understand and appreciate when when managers take good care of them. It's it's another one for uh, for a leader to have that like switch flipped. And so as you've been you know evangelizing your book, giving talks, coaching people, and things like that, I'm curious what have you found that convinces skeptics the most? Experimentation. <laughs> So um, start small is really the the best way. Like pick one of the practices. So actually the truth is I just rewrote the book. I've written the second edition. It comes out in August next year. Oh, exciting. Um, So so there will be five practices. But right now there are four. And where I would start is what I call institutionalizing recognition. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I saw a boss do, my, my boss at one point had all of California for his his group. It's a very, very big job in a very large organization, right? And so he had like, I don't know, 16, 17 regional managers. And we would go to his office once a month and he would do this Olympic recognition. And he had a podium, he played the music, he gave medals away, right? So it sounds like he's doing this fantastic job of creating recognition, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're number one, number two, number three, you're going to get up on there and you're going to get a medal and you're going to you know, get your picture taken with them right. and it all looks really great. Here's the problem. <laughs> of those 16, 17 regional managers, I, I would say probably 14 of them were killing it. We're doing fantastic work. Doing, I mean, managing operations, managing risk, managing everything, compliance, and then sales on top of it and all the different product lines. These people people were really talented doing fantastic work but if you were number four you didn't get any recognition you didn't get hey you guys are doing great these are the top three but it was like if you weren't in the top three you sucked 
And it was so the, the recognition that he was doing was so deflating because everybody was sitting there like, do you realize what we're doing here and how wonderful we're doing? And he, he, he all he could see was the top three. And so it taught me in that moment was like, hey, wait a minute. If you have 14 out of 16 people that are actually excelling, you need to recognize all 14 people. You need to take the time to do that. Yep. At one point, Jason, in one of his recognitions, he literally looked at his watch and said, oh, man, shit, we don't have time for this. We got to get on to business. And he literally just called the whole thing off. So he completely, profoundly misunderstood the impact of recognition. So Mm -hmm. my philosophy is if you want to give somebody a new goal, you can't do it until you thank them and and appreciated them for what they did the month before. So step one would be institute formal recognition where you recognize people once a month and anyone and everyone who meets or exceeds your expectations, spend the time. Go, Jason, I want to thank you. Congratulations. You know, you, your team did this, your team did that. And, you know, round of applause and then go around and do that with everyone. Everyone deserves that. But when they get it, they will want it again. That's the conclusion that I have is that people will work really hard for recognition. So just start there. Just start there. Just give people the love. Thank them. Don't make it about you. You make it about them. And if they start coming to meetings once a month where you're reviewing performance and you're saying, hey, I can't believe what great work you've done. I'm so grateful to you. I'm so proud of you. Thank you for doing this. If you do that and you start to do it month to month, you're going to want to go, what are these other practices? Because I got to do those too. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's funny. Two of my favorite quotes that we use a lot on the Lighthouse blog are Sam Walton and Mary Kay Ash. And both of them are like, Praise and recognition costs you nothing and has a huge ROI. Like Mary Kay Ash says, uh, there's two things pe- people like more than sex, and it's recognition and praise. Like she just got right to the point. You think about it with Mary Kay Empire, like she gives all kinds of rewards to people for how they how they perform as salespeople in their organization. So they definitely embrace it. It's funny though that you mentioned uh, the recognition thing because we've talked about this before on the Lighthouse blog when we've interviewed you, and I never heard the backstory before. So it's very cool to hear the fact that like the the thing where you've told before hey you know if 24 people hit the goal you recognize all 24 not just you know the top three it's great to hear the context of the other side of that where you literally did see that actually happen and fail and not work uh so it's cool to hear the other side of that story I mean, it's so deflating to feel like you did good work and to hear other people get recognition and you're not getting any of it. And, Absolutely. So, you know, the minute I started giving it to my team, I tell the story in, in the first book, but I literally did it with assistant managers. I was trying to grow them and develop them and hold them accountable for a big business line. And uh, so in my first meeting, I went and bought this box of junior mints. So I intentionally created this like ritualized reward. It wasn't much, two hours, you know. And uh, so I had like 30 of these guys in the room. And so I just, without ever telling them that I was going to do this, I just said, hey, let's, we're just going to look at the consumer lending results. And I just want to recognize those of you that met or exceeded the goal and come on up here. And so I shake their hand, tell them how much I appreciate it and give them a box of junior mints. And so as the meeting was over, this woman who I didn't really know very well, because I, I didn't hire her and she was relatively new. She came, she stayed after and she came up to me and she goes, I didn't get any candy. And I, I, I kind of felt bad, you know. Yeah. I, but, and she goes, 
but I'm coming back next month and I'm getting my candy. <laughs> and it was just so powerful to see yeah. that it, that experience meant something so much to people that they were like, I don't ever want to go to a meeting with Mark and not get that. Yeah. And so it becomes a fun ritual. And so we think that, well, we don't really need to thank everyone. We just need to thank a few people. And my attitude is if you want, if you have 30 people on your team and 25 of them met the goal, if you want to make sure that those 25 people meet the goal next month, then you have to recognize them. If you just do the top three, Absolutely. they're going to go, well, this doesn't matter, you know? And uh, so you know, if I get 90% of goal, that'll keep my job but that doesn't help you as a leader it certainly doesn't help you excel yeah i mean there's the big difference in the large gap between like i'm gonna do my best and i'm gonna do just enough to keep my job I, i'm a very competitive guy that <laughs> was, you know, and, and also very demanding if you ask people that work for me like what's the word you would use to describe them you would yeah. probably naturally go well they all said you're the heart guy yeah. well no they didn't they, they would say i was the most demanding boss that they ever had yeah. but the way the reason that justified me being demanding was they had never worked for anybody that cared about them as much as i did that gave Right. And so much support and taught them and coached them and reassured them and encouraged them and obviously, you know, rewarded them. And by, and I also promoted people. So people who were working for me knew that if they did a good job, they could get a bigger job within my organization. Mm -hmm. And that becomes another self-fulfilling thing where people are like, Hey, I, and I know I'm working for somebody who's going to look out for me if I do good work. So the reason that we were so successful and, and particularly in comparison to what everybody else was doing was we were hitting on all cylinders. Um, yeah. I call this the, I mean, basically we, we optimized human performance. We created yeah. the absolute perfect environment for people to do great work. That's great. That's great. So what are, uh, what are the other high level, high level ways you like to start small and experiment? So you started, you said institutionalized recognition was the first one. What are the other ones? There's a couple of things that I think are really important. It's a good question. So, um, you know, there, when I use the word lead from the heart, the title and somebody paid somebody, you know, $10,000 to help me figure out my platform. And she told me you're going to fucking fail if you continue to use the expression lead from the heart. Ouch. And so I share that story. Those were her words not mine and it punctured me for a moment there and I had to make a decision you know am I going to be the killer engagement guy going forward and just leave the hard stuff behind but it's all about the heart that's yeah. it and, and it's not it's not the romantic heart it's not the valentine heart it's about the biological thing that we have inside of us that actually has intelligence that informs our decisions that we don't think about most of the time mm -hmm. and so so we have to kind of get over that so there's going to be what there's a professor at, at North Northwestern, he, David Schoenthal, he calls it friction. So there's friction to new ideas and the friction to new ideas in many cases is, well, that's going to take, it's going to put me in a position of awkwardness because I'm not comfortable doing that. Right. So I'm just right. going to keep doing what I'm doing. So what I would say is, and it all depends on where you are in your organization, what level, but if you have a team of people and like, say you have 10 managers working for you, mm -hmm. the way to get them on board would be to say, 
how do we solve this? How do we become more caring? How do we become an organization where people beat the path to come to work here because it's so great? And then by involving them, they go, well, yeah, what we could do is, you know, we could do coaching sessions and or we could do, you know, we could make sure that people know what their career path is and, you know, actually accelerate that by giving them experiences outside of, you know, people are coming up with all these great ideas. And now you say, okay, let's go do that. Instead of saying, I need you to shift your, I need you to change how you manage people. The minute you say that you take people out of control and we human beings love control. This is why there's all this drama around vaccinations and, and mandates around masks. It's like, nobody's going to tell me what to do. Right. But when you give people the autonomy and say, go into a room and think this through and come back with some great ideas, they're going to come back with the very ideas that will actually get you where you want to get to. So these are wonderful ideas. Let's implement them. How do we implement them? Which one do we want to implement first? Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that I would say from an HR standpoint, depending upon who your audience is, is start measuring turnover at the manager level. Yeah. Like, you have, you know, four, four million people a month quitting in America. If I was the HR director for a company, I would want to know exactly where they're leaving because people do. This is not myth. This is uh, it's true that when when people make a decision to leave, they're not leaving an organization. They're leaving the culture that a manager actually creates. Yeah. So managers are the principal reason that people leave. And so you got to weed out the people who don't get on board with this and you need to confront them and say, Hey, turnover is really, really high in relationship to what everybody else is doing. And you're on the clock now. So what are you going to be doing differently? Cause there needs to be some directness. And then the other is two, two other things that I think are really important. One is to do a pilot. So create an environment, create a team where you hire somebody who's specifically really really caring. Obviously, they have to focus on driving performance too. So you need them both. Yeah. But somebody who is intentionally caring who can test this and make hire a team of people and then compare their results three months now, six months from now to what everybody else is doing and all the key metrics. So it's not just performance, you know, whether it's sales or whatever their key outcomes are. But also, if you can measure engagement, measure turnover. And then the, the final one I think is really important, which is if you see the behavior you want, spotlight it. Hey, everyone. Um, welcome to the meeting today. I want to start off by talking about Jason. I was out with him and, you know, was w- with his team. And I really, really want to tell you what a great job he's doing. And specifically, he's doing these things, which is something that I really want us all to start embracing. So Jason, congratulations. Yep. Tell us a little bit more about what you're doing. Now, all of a sudden you're getting all the love, all the light. And people are like, I want to do that. So then as soon as you see somebody else doing it, you have to say, Hey, remember a couple of weeks ago, I was spotlighting Jason and we were really talking about what he's doing. Well, well, Mary is doing the exact same thing and I was with her and now I'm seeing her team respond. And I'm so excited about the percolation that's happening here. So by doing that, then people are getting excited and they can see that you're paying attention to it and you're rewarding it and it's really really powerful well that and they also know exactly what to do like oh i 
I got praised for specifically that. There is no mystery to why I got the praise. No mystery. You call it out specifically. I saw this behavior, and this yeah. is the behavior I love, and I want to applaud you and have the team applaud you. Yeah. Exactly. So many, so many managers miss that in my experience. Like they get on the praise train and they're like, "Oh yeah, I should praise my team more," and then they forget to be specific on why they're giving the praise because either. You know, if you give praise and you don't have a reason behind it, like it feels hollow and it doesn't, it doesn't feel as good. Uh, yeah, as, you just as, say, hey, you're great, Jason. For yeah. what? Like, and, <laughs> and then you kind of go, well, am I great? Well, I don't really feel great. I'm like, yeah. you know. So, do they really so look? It, do they really know why? Or do they just say good job reflexively? Like, you, you know they actually took the time to look. If you look and you can say, hey, Mark, you did a really great job on that report. I really like how you went into detail and made some graphs and charts. Yes. It's very easy yes. to understand. You it's simplified. like my life yeah. i was able to go in a meeting and use what you produced and yeah. with my boss be able to be intelligent and, and discuss something that i didn't know about 10 minutes earlier do you realize how and we the thing is is that it has to be generous Correct. it has to be like you know it, it, we, we think oh if i if i really over compliment you and i go you know what i i should have reviewed this before the meeting and i didn't have time and i went in with my boss and i looked at your report five minutes before and I was like, oh, my God, like, thank you for this, because you've really saved my ass with my manager. And I just want you to know that people are like, well, they're going to abuse that. You know, now they're going to go around. They're going to tell everyone Mark doesn't do his job. And, and I, I had to save him. And that's not what happens. People are like, well, I'm going to do that again for you. I'm going to keep you informed. So you never have to go in. And that's how human nature works. The other thing is when it comes to recognition, because we've given a lot of energy to this, is that we think we do a great job of this so there's this huge gap when you go to managers and you say is recognition important for your people and they go of course like everybody knows that like why would you ask it and then yeah. you go to people and you go how often do you recognize and people are like why well, he hasn't said anything to me in two months yep and i'm like oh my god like you know so um, there there needs to be some some not just self-reflection in terms of how am i doing it but to confirm it with people Mm -hmm. When was the last time you felt that I really thanked you and applauded you and, and appreciated you? Tell me honestly. And well, it was 2019. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Oh, okay. You know, and be open to it. You know, I just worked with the CEO who was, he got, I interviewed 50 people in his company and absolutely, I mean, his, his, his grades were just abominable, least caring, no empathy, oh. um, thinks, thinks he's doing a great job and really isn't in terms of how he affects us. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when I presented that to him, he was like, uh, that doesn't that's not me like i'm not changing and i was like oh this place is doomed because he's so unwilling so much ego around how he thought he was doing a great job that he was unwilling to be influenced by what the truth was um so we have to kind of you know toughen up and allow ourselves to be influenced by other people and my experience is that when you involve them and you say hey i'm trying to do better and i got this feedback that i haven't really done a very good job of this and i want to do better when you do it then they go, he's doing it or she's doing it. Like they said they were going to get better at it. And now I, I see it. And then all of a sudden there's greater trust that's been built. You go out and you promise to do more recognition and then you don't do it. People are like, forget you. Like, you know, this, this isn't the place for me. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. 
you have to fill in those gaps and actually take the action to make it work. Did you know that 50% of people have quit a job specifically to get away from their manager? The fact is, people leave managers, not companies. The morale and motivation of your team is a direct result of what you do as their manager. Yet, even when you know the right things to do, it's hard to stay consistent and remember everything as your team and company demands grow. That's why we built Lighthouse. I was a manager just like you. I wanted help remembering and following through on what mattered to my team. Rather than spread across tons of docs and sheets of paper, Lighthouse organizes all your one-on-ones, your team's career goals, and the little details that make you a thoughtful manager all in one place. You can be the thoughtful, caring manager you want it to become, all with less effort than you think. If you're ready to take the next step and put the kinds of advice you find on our podcast and blog into action quickly, then sign up now for a free 21-day trial of Lighthouse software now at getlighthouse.com. So you talked a little bit about it already, but I wanted to kind of kind of jump into a little bit more. Like when you think about people trying to prove that this works, like soft skills, they're squishy. How do you turn some of this action into actually being able to like measure like what ways would you try and measure like let's say there's a manager listening to this and they want to start doing these things or maybe they already do some of them they're trying to show that like it makes a difference what kinds of things should they look at especially maybe if they're not in a a job like sales where like everything is perfectly measured to such a degree that it's very very easy to just look and say hey all my team hit their quota so obviously it's better Well, I mean, whatever their goal is, is the ultimate measure, right? So whatever, whatever it is that you're responsible for is a primary baseline. Like, how are we doing in relationship to whatever those goals are? So the big picture is, um, is doing any of this, making any of that better? Because it's impossible for it not to, right? So if you say, hey, you know, month to month, we're hitting about 80% of our goals. So start there and then start implementing some of this and see how it goes. But the the other validation is honestly, I just, somebody just tweeted this out to me, said, take a look at this. And the guy is a small business owner. And he said, you know, sometimes I don't have uh, money to give people for a Christmas bonus. He goes, but I do it anyway. I give people a Christmas bonus every year. Mm-hmm. And he gave a bonus to one of his employees who's 55 years old. And she started crying and said, no one has ever given me a Christmas bonus in my entire life. Wow. And you, you just, you realize, how, and who knows how much it was, you know, it wasn't yeah. like $50,000, right? You know what oh, I mean? Yeah. Probably a couple hundred bucks or something, but it made a difference because somebody was shown you matter enough to me that even if I don't have it in my wallet, I'm giving it to you because you're on my team. And you can feel that. You can see that. You can see that in people. So if you're demonstrating greater kindness, greater patience. So, Jason, you come to me. Your deadline for a project is today. And you come to me and you say, yes, you know, a day day ago, hey, I'm not going to be able to make that. And I'm feeling really bad. Well, you have a choice. You can go. You're a piece of crap, Jason, because I needed that and you knew my deadline and this is unacceptable and there's going to be consequences or you can kind of go, are there consequences? Like, was this a real, like, is, is, are the clocks going to stop? Is the company going to fail? Um, could you give this guy a little grace? And if you say, Hey, what, you know, thanks for the heads up. I really appreciate it. That would have been really disappointing if I was waiting for it and didn't come. Now I know it's not coming. Give me a little bit more heads up next time that this happens, but 
When do you think you can get it done? A couple days? Okay, good. Just do, do your best work. Now, how do you feel? A lot better. Right? I mean, you feel like, hey, I want to do a good job for this guy now because oh, he yeah. didn't beat me up, right? Yep. He's, no he saw that I'm, I'm working it. I'm trying to look out for him. I just couldn't get to it, right? Those went, and so you'll see that. You'll feel that in the way people treat you and the way they interact with you when you yeah. give them those kinds of things. So that I, it's two. It's look at the business measurements over time, but just look at how people respond to you when you treat them this way. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, one of the things I, I've been telling people even long before I started Lighthouse when I worked with people was always like one of my number one rules is manage my expectations. And what that means is like, something goes wrong, something happens, like I want to know and like we'll figure it out together and the only time you will see me get really upset at someone is when they hide or they don't come to me with an issue and then we don't have time to do something about it and I The only find, reason people do that, Jason, is because they wouldn't, they don't trust you. I'm just speaking correct. objectively. Right? Oh, abs absolutely. Like, and, and so so the second part I want to share with that is every person I hire goes through a trust building phase where there's usually a first time they come to me with something where they're a little unsure how I'm going to react because it's not good news. And then they see that I really mean it when I say, hey, when you come to me and you tell me there's a problem, whether it's personal or professional that affects something we're working on, like we're going to figure it out together. And it's after that first time that like I actually don't shoot the messenger and like we figure it out. They go, oh, this is what he meant. But there's always that phase when we start out with anybody new I hire that like they've been burned enough by other bosses that don't like bad news that it takes some time to unlearn those habits and for them to learn like, oh, if you come to me and you just explain what's going on, like, we'll adjust the timeline. We'll figure out what are the support you need. You know, other people will pitch in and help you. Like, whatever it is, we'll figure it out. But the only thing to me that's a problem is you not telling me about it so I can't do anything about it. Like you were talking about in your example where it's like if I'm sitting there waiting for the – deliverable and you know just like you just don't get anything at the deadline that would be really bad and really hard for you to deal with but if someone comes to you then you can actually do something together to figure it out uh, or give them the time they need well we we think so you know keep the scenario going yeah you you say to me well I'm, i know i'm not gonna be able to make the deadline tomorrow but i think i can get it done in two more days the typical thought process is well if i don't hold you accountable for that then everybody's gonna know that you know deadlines aren't real and okay. um you know that they can get things to me when they need to and so forget it jason I, <laughs> you're gonna have to spend all night here i don't care what you've got going with your family but i want this thing at six o'clock in the morning tomorrow no matter what and so we go in the opposite direction we're like nope i'm doubling down and i'm gonna make this guy's life miserable because he's not delivering what i need to deliver and and i'm you know i gotta believe people listening to this are like i work for somebody like that we <laughs> yes. all have, you know we all have and and it's just a ruthlessness that people just end up resenting yeah and there's no reason for it you can just say hey look you know I I really do want things on time, Jason. Mm -hmm. um, but I understand sometimes you can't get it done. So if you can get it done really well in two days, we're good. Yeah. I mean, people just like, okay, cool. Thank you. Like, that's it. You're not going to like hit me, you know? Um, but then the next time somebody's doing a project for you, 
they're like, I really want to do a good job for Jason because he was so cool the last time with me. And oh, yeah. You have to treat the like the thing I've realized is like there are people of the mindset that they treat all their employees like their worst employee as opposed to treat all your employees like your best employee and realize that if somebody's like, let's say someone is taking advantage of deadlines and they always have another excuse. Well, that's a performance issue. And maybe that person doesn't work out. But that doesn't mean that one person who's a bad apple should mean that you treat all of your employees like the same bad apple. It's like, no, one person takes advantage of a system that works for the other other nine people on your team. That just means that one person may not work out in your system. And I, I think personally, that's OK. That person uh, may be underperforming or isn't a good fit for, for the team. But that doesn't mean the other nine people have to suffer with the same um, approaches. No, that's off continue to treat, treat the other people like adults and hold the expectations of an adult to them. Absolutely. And, and, but, you know, to add to that, what I've found is sometimes people who are on the outs, you know, the one that's not doing it when they keep hearing all the love they start to aspire to be that person. Correct. Right. Like, well, I want to, you know, I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to get that because I want to be a part of this team. Right. Yes. But then you, when you find that person and they don't, they're just not interested or they're not capable or whatever you deal with them individually you don't go well bill you know everybody else is doing a great job so what's going on with you 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 deal with bill separately so that everybody that comes into the meeting is always feeling like this is a team of winners Mm -hmm. um and they they you know they go what happened to bill they know what happened to bill you know you know and and people appreciate the fact that hey if we're going to be working really hard and doing great work then everybody should be doing that and if bill wasn't on board with that you know the one thing it's interesting is that when I think back on my whole career and all the people that I fired, it sounds like a lot of people, but <laughs> most of the time it's, you have conversations with people and saying, this isn't really working out. So how do I help you find something that might be better within yep. our organization or somewhere else? But when I've ended up having to, you know, let somebody go, um, I mean, I can count on one hand the number of people who were like angry or resentment. You know, they ended up like thanking me in many cases. Like Mm -hmm. I ended up going and doing something so much better, so much more important to me than what I was doing before. So, you know, sometimes it's just fit. It's not because somebody's just a jerk. It's because they're supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. Let's think back. You know, you you mentioned you had been working with an executive and unfortunately they weren't ready to take their medicine. You know, they weren't really ready to acknowledge that they weren't doing as good a job leading from the heart as they thought. A lot of leaders are probably doing uh, 360 reviews right now. We're recording this in December. Uh, this episode's going to run in January. Um, a lot of people are going to be getting their 360 reviews from some of the people that report to them and work around them uh, in the next few weeks to, to a month or so here. And so for an executive that maybe does get that kind of uh, cold, cold splash of water, about them not really doing a great job in this stuff and thinking they want to change. What do you think are the first couple steps maybe a leader should take if they are trying to, you know, change their stripes and and do things a little bit differently and start to lead from the heart after realizing that apparently they're not? Um, It starts with sort of philosophy, which is accept what is. Um, And this this that idea really relates to dealing with anything that's not going the way you want to. Right. Yeah. So, you know, here's covid. I can't travel. I can't. So I'm, you know, cursing the gods, you know, blaming the universe for screwing my life over. And and really, the attitude is, you know, this is what it is. So how do I make what is work as opposed to, you 
know, doing this that doesn't get me anything except anger and resentment and, and I'm not making anything any better that way. So it's like accept what is and then go from there and see if you can make things better. So like the guy that we were talking about, he just couldn't believe that people disliked him the way. And it wasn't a dislike like a personality. It was just they hated his behaviors. You know, right. they were they were selfish. And, you know, he would like send people an email on their birthdays. And he goes, I really touch people with those. And like people were like, you know, he remembers my birthday, but big deal. Like, you're not. So I have to say, you're not really touching anybody with that. You know, yeah. and, but he just wouldn't accept it. So start with if you get bad feedback, accept it. Don't resent it. Yeah. And then understand it. Once you figure out, okay, what is it they're saying? Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can't retaliate against people or, you know, or, or, you know, make jokes about them. The most mature response is in a 360, you're always going to get critical feedback because they ask for it. <laughs> what yeah. can Mark do better? Yeah. And, and so no matter how hard you're trying, like I was always wanting to do a great job. And so I always got negative feedback and I was like, why are they saying that about me? You know, and I'm like, man, that bums me out. But then it was like, okay, so what do I do to fix it? Mm-hmm. And when you fix it and you tell people, by the way, I, I got, you know, my consistent feedback was that I don't do this enough. And so I'm going to try to do much more of this. So if you see it, let me know. You know, if you see me doing it, please like give me a little love so that I I feel better about, you know, getting better at this. When you involve people in it and you're open about it, because by the way, they, they're telling everybody. Yeah. I said to Mark, like, you know, he could be a real jerk sometimes. Like, so everybody knows the, the feedback. So when you go out and say, well, you know, several of you said that they thought I could be a jerk every once in a while. Yeah. Oh, like he like he said that like you know you're you're owning that so now you're aligning to what is and people are like completely disarmed and now they're rooting for you so take it to heart that's great and on the flip side then so a lot of the people that listen to our podcast and read our blog are really self-motivated managers and they i i the emails i get from people are pretty broad spectrum some people work at amazing companies where this is part of their culture and then there's a lot of people that unfortunately are in companies where they're the rare bird uh not unlike you were early in your career where they're the only person trying to do stuff this way and so especially for those kinds of people where they like the idea of leading from the heart they like the idea of caring about the people on their team but it may not be a part of the culture of the company as a whole what can those people do how should they approach it if it's not necessarily something that's like sanctioned and embraced by the company is instead something that they just are going to have to do on their own. You know, I can speak from experience here because yeah. I, I, I um, the very beginning of my career, I had somebody manage me exactly the way that I've managed people the rest of my career. And then I never saw anybody like him again, ever. In fact, the higher I got, you know, I ended up with two national level positions in one of the largest financial institutions. And the the higher I got, the more Machiavellian the people above me were because they were always threatened. Like I got here and so I'm not going to help this person because that person's a threat. And so there's a lot of insecurity when it comes to that. But mm-hmm. um, but I wasn't waiting for somebody to manage me like this. Um, so. I, they, you can't like, don't wait for the world to match your behavior. Just be that person and then train other people to be that person. So what ended up happening over a period of years was these managers were coming into my meetings every month and I'm working with them, obviously, and speaking to them, seeing them in many cases, not all, all, all of them every day, but through the course of a month, I'm seeing them and 
So they get to see my style, my approach, and they begin to emulate it. And nice. so now they start managing their people in the same way that I'm managing them. And now all of a sudden my influence is far greater. Mm-hmm. So I now have a whole region of people, you know, that are m- mimicking, emulating the very behaviors that I want to see. So did anybody senior, the CEO of the company come out and say, this is how I want you to lead and this is what I'm expecting? No. But in the environment that where they knew that they would get recognition and growth opportunities to get promoted and all that, the behaviors that I was displaying were the, the very same ones that I was rewarding. And so then they would adapt those and they become natural. And then so you're just breeding it. So over a course of years, like there was people, they used to take the top performing people managers to Hawaii and I went there one one year and the head of retail banking was there and she knew me of course but she just came up to me and she goes you know there's like a whole different environment. Like I, every time I've ever been in your, with your people, people, you know, there's people who sent up to Seattle and she'll run into them. Oh, who do you work for? Work for Mark Crowley. Okay. What's it like to work for Mark? She gets a sense of it. Right. And right. she just said, she goes, there's something really different about what you do. And it was really confirming that, you know, that, that she was, you know, 500 miles away. Mm-hmm. She was hearing what, from people directly or indirectly that what my culture was you know, doing and operating was vastly different than the rest of the organization, but desirable. Like mm-hmm. she called it out because I wish we could do more of that. Okay. So what I'm hearing is that what managers should take away is that you don't need permission to lead from the heart. You can start doing it yourself with just your team. And that example is likely going to make you stand out as a leader anyways. And as you get promoted, you can start to teach others in the company to do the same or bring along some of your best people to rise up with you. But the point is that you don't need permission. You don't need anything else. You can start leading from the heart regardless of what's going on in the rest of your organization. Would you agree with that? And you should. There you go. Cool. So as we wrap up these episodes, one of the things we really try and do is we want to be actionable. We want to be the most actionable leadership podcast out there. We want people to know exactly what they can do. So what is one thing that somebody could do literally that maybe they listen to this on their lunch break or they listen to it on their morning commute or, you know, as they're you know on a little break? What's one thing they could literally do today or tomorrow that would help them be one step closer to leading from the heart? What's one small step we can get them to take because they listen to this today? Um, depending upon whether you see people in person or if people are still working remotely, this doesn't matter. Okay. Schedule a one half hour call every single week with every one of your direct reports. No exception. Um, if you're traveling on a Monday and you have a meeting scheduled, you schedule it for a Tuesday, you make up for it. You keep you. And, and I believe that your span of control, your ability to manage a certain number of people is determined by how many people you can actually do this with. So yeah. if you have 30 people, you're going to have to have 30 conversations during the course of the week. And the entire conversation isn't Jason, where are you on this? When am I going to get this project done? When are you going to get this? Where are we on that? It's Jason, tell me how you are doing. 
What's going on with you? How are you feeling? What's going on? Uh, you can tell me about your project, but we're really not talking about deadlines. If there's anything I can help you with, but it's really just what's going on with you. What's going on with you personally? You know, how are you feeling? Is there anything that I can do to help you? And you, you, know, you basically have the, remember that game operation where you put yeah. the little rung in and, you know, so if yeah. they go, well, I really want to talk about, you know, can you move the deadline out on, you know, my project? It's like, that's not what this conversation is about. We'll have another conversation about your work project somewhere else. It's really specifically just to see how you are doing and what I can do to help you. All it needs is a half an hour. If you're working from home, how's your family? You know, I yep. tweeted out or I schedule some of my tweets and I have one tomorrow. It's like, here's, here's the test of a great remote manager is, do you know the names of the pets of your employees? <laughs> you know, and it sounds ridiculous, but if you know, it's like, oh, there's Lulu right there. You know, when, when Lulu pops in on the screen, yep. people are like, he cares enough to know my dog's name. That's this, that's that, that would be one thing to do. But you, if you make a commitment, if you, you know, I have a CEO of a company, he promised me he would call me early Monday morning. It's Friday right now. He still hasn't called no emails and, you know, I'm working with him. And the first thing I want to tell him is, do you realize how much trust you lose when you yeah. make a commitment? Simple as that and can't make it and can't follow up. Like if you're doing that with me, like you're doing that with your people, people have to disrespect you completely. So if you're going to make the commitment, you keep it, you know, Hey, Jason, I can't do eight o'clock on Monday. Can you do 11? And if you can't do 11, let's do it Tuesday or Wednesday. Mm -hmm. oh, we're going to keep the call. And when people see that you are giving them their time, that's the most valuable, generous thing you can give someone is full attention on you, Jason. Absolutely. And when people feel that that's happening consistently and they start to go, well, you know what? Um, you know, my, my wife is working ridiculous hours and I'm really struggling trying to keep up with, you know, the kids right now because she's a nurse. She's got a lot of COVID patients. Like now all of a sudden we're having this conversation that is totally unwork related, mm -hmm. but it's you're so you feel so comfortable that now you're sharing what's really going on with me. And if yeah. I just say, man, you know, I'm so sorry if there's anything I can do to help that, you know, but I just want you to know that I'm sorry that you're going through that, Jason. Just hearing that from your boss, it, it goes here. It doesn't go here. And oh, people yeah. never forget it. And But the only way you have that is by scheduling those meetings and not thinking, oh, people can call me if they need me kind of. A thing. Oh, yeah. Open door policies fail. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Mark, you're preaching of the choir here we make one-on-one -on -one software here at lighthouse so we're literally <laughs> we're, we're literally all about uh helping you actually make the most of these meetings with hundreds of questions to help you break the ice when you don't know how to have that meeting and have that conversation and we also have an area we call the report tab which helps you remember little details about your team so mark unbeknownst to you uh i swear i didn't put them up to this but um uh but that's literally exactly what we try and help people do so uh, i used to have yeah. like a bell i used to have a bell in my my office i wish i still had it but yeah like the plug bell you know i could bring yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no i love this and you're absolutely right though there's so much you learn in taking that time to talk to your team every week and you know those those little things in life they 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 add up and they they do make a huge difference like uh, i wanted to mention earlier but i think it's a st great story to wrap up on uh, my my father he ran an accounting firm uh for about 25 years um and he definitely was 
with somebody who was living the lead from the heart perspective, like you always talk about, Mark. And uh, he was telling me at his retirement dinner, people were going around sharing stories. And one of the stories just like hit my dad so hard. He was telling me about it afterwards. And um, basically, one of his employees came to him and it's a county firm. Tax season's big deal, right? So January through April is just crazy time. You know, and especially the closer you get to April 15th, the crazier it gets. Well, one of his employees went went and came into his office one day and said, hey, Mike, I really want to I really want to take this family vacation. Uh, my parents are taking a cruise. All my siblings and their children are coming together to go on this cruise together. Uh, you know, it's going to be a big deal for my family, but it's in late March. Yeah, I'd right. really like to go. Can I go? And my dad said, if you can get your taxes done and you get everything done on time, of course you can go. But, I, but of course, I need you to hit your deadlines. As long as you hit your deadlines, you can go. No problem. Well, the guy went. Uh, he hit all his deadlines, did a great job, went on the vacation. It was amazing. Uh, had a great time and you know, got to see the family and stuff. And it turns out the guy's father died two months later. And so it was literally the last time he saw him and with the whole family. And so, like, you know, the guy got teared up telling my dad, like, hey, you know, you didn't have to do that, but you let me you let me go on that trip. And it meant the world to me and everybody in the family because we all got to be together and there was every reason for you to say no. And you didn't. This is the way life works out. We don't realize there, there is karma, you know. And Absolutely. I'll, I'll give you. I'll give you another story. That that. Um, so when my son was, um, he's out of college now. But when he was little, not little, but you know, high school and yeah. freshman, sophomore in college, kind of a thing. Um, I was um, actually it was high school. It was you know he he would go into the. I used to run retail branches, right? Yeah. In San Diego. And so he he would go into these branches and they would see his name and they'd go, um, his name was Ryan. And yeah. so they'd go, do you know Mark Crowley? And he'd go, yeah, uh, like <laughs> my dad. And they'd go, we love your father. <laughs> and so but this happened. So he went to Berkeley. Yeah. And somebody had transferred up to Berkeley from San Diego yeah. and did the exact same thing. So he goes, everywhere I go, <laughs> all I ever hear is like how much they love you and admire you. That's and awesome. You can't buy that, you know. But my son has a sense of me yeah. and, and how I led that matches up to everything that I talk about. And I didn't have to tell him it. He's, he got it from his own experience. And Absolutely. this is... It's a small world, you it know, is. and your reputation gets known very, very quickly, Jason. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I think this is a this is a great point to wrap on. Mark, thank you so much uh, for joining us for this episode. I hope people learned a lot about the idea of leading from the heart and specifically how they can start to do it as well. Mark, you want to tell us a little bit about your podcast that uh, they should check out as well? What do you what do you tend to do on your podcast? What's it about? Um, so it, it's, it's very focused. So yours is focused on giving people actionable items. Mine's focused on giving people legitimate, truly legitimate insights from some of the top thinkers in the world on 
some dimension of the lead from the heart philosophy. So all of the guests that I've had on, for example, um, Amy Edmondson, who's a Harvard Business School professor, she is the world's guru on psychological safety. Psychological safety, emotional safety is clearly a cornerstone of the lead from the heart philosophy, even though it wasn't language that I had when, you know, 10 years ago when the book first came out. It's language that completely validates everything that I'm talking about. So when Amy Edmondson start talking about how you need to make people feel safe, we weren't talking about that in business. And four or five years ago, we weren't talking about that. So right. these are all cutting edge people many of them major business school professors um, from all dimensions and uh, as you mentioned has an audience in 156 countries and I mentioned that specifically because everything we're talking about here is universal this yeah. isn't something you do in banking or hospitality or hospitals or you know this is human beings respond to this kind of leadership no matter where what job they have and no matter where they live in the world Absolutely. Yeah, that's a, that's a great message and definitely true. We see that we, I've seen the same thing with who helped with Lighthouse. When I go and look at where people have read our blog posts, you'd be surprised all the different countries where people are, are, are trying to do these things. So, Mark, thank you again for joining us. And uh, definitely check out – you can follow Mark on Twitter. We'll put in the show notes his Twitter account, and we'll link to his podcast as well so you can, you can find him and give his stuff a listen because it's great stuff. So thanks again, Mark. And uh, Thank you. Happy holidays and happy new year to you and your audience. All right. Thank you.